But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not it is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will become, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect, com the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish, thi childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then face to face, now I know in part. But then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa, for reading that passage. To begin the year, we've been meditating on that text, 1 Corinthians 13 together. Uh, it's called the love chapter. It's one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. We could argue it's maybe the greatest description and depiction of love that we have as a human race. Um, in our home, we have a difference of opinion when it comes to sweets and candies. For some of us, we like to savor them just a little bit at a time. Other people like to devour them <laughs> in the shortest amount of time possible. And we won't name names in our home. But for those folks who like to devour them, we have to hide those savory treats somewhere uh, or those sweet treats so that everybody gets a chance to enjoy them. 1 Corinthians 13 is a part of the Bible that cannot be devoured to understand it. It cannot be devoured if it's going to sink in to our lives. It has to be savored slowly, which is why this is the fourth week where we've heard that passage read and our fourth week where we are going bit by bit, piece by piece in this text to examine what love is. Um, today we're going to look at verse 6. So if you have your Bible open, you can just zero in on that part where it says these words, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Before we dig into that, first a reminder, 1 Corinthians 13 is often read at weddings. Maybe it was read at your wedding. Uh, it's often depicted in like pictures. You can buy wonderful, fancy pictures, put them up on your wall with parts of 1 Corinthians 13. And that is great. But all those tend to lose the practical reason for which 1 Corinthians 13 was ever written in the first place. Paul wrote this beautiful poem as a part of a letter to a church that was trying to find their way through quite a mess. They had division. 
They had conflict. They had all kinds of brokenness and immaturity and outright sin. And all this stuff was happening at the same time in this church. And Paul wrote this chapter, maybe his most eloquent and masterful description of the way of Jesus, the way of Christianity, the way of love, to describe a person. You see, this is love personified, a person who can step into that mess, conflict, disagreement, people who are in the wrong, people who need to be corrected and called out, a person who can step into that and bring about healing, not harm, who can bring redemption. So I'm saying all that to say this part we're going to look at, verse 6 of chapter 13, is not a part of some ethereal kind of fluffy poem. Sorry, camera, I'm going to walk away to grab this. Um, It is nitty, gritty, real-life stuff. It is practical for messy people in broken real-life situations who are trying to find a way to bring healing and not harm and even to bring redemption into those situations. So we can see it in the context of our homes. How do we handle it when people close to us do or say or think something that we think is wrong or unrighteous? I don't think anybody, we don't have any examples of that that we can think of, right? (laughs) Or maybe outside of the home in a very tense and divided culture that we live in where We're living in a place where we're thinking about how do I handle differences? How do I handle when people disagree with me, when people do things, say things, think things that I think are deeply wrong and I am very concerned about? Again, probably don't have a hard time thinking of some examples for you. Verse 6 of chapter 13 shows us the way of love in these situations. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. The main focus of this verse, look at that verse with me, is not about forbidding joy and pleasure in our own unrighteousness and sin. That's a bit too obvious of a point, I think, for Paul to make, saying don't don't have fun while you're sinning. I think he's saying something not about ourselves that doesn't really fit the context or even the grammar. Paul is speaking about how we handle wrong and sin and unrighteousness that we might see that affects us in other people or in situations we step into or live in how do we love people who do wrong how do we love people who we think are wrong and who we see unrighteousness and sin in is that practical enough for us well let's see what paul says there are three things we're going to look at here first he says love has a constant companion and we really need to see this first in general We all tend to be either truth people or love people. Maybe we tend to be love people. We tend towards taking a softer approach to accept and affirm people, to encourage people, to see a lot of gray in life. Or maybe you say, that's not me. I tend to be a truth person. I am strong and firm in my opinions. I kind of have a take it or leave it approach. I see a lot of black and white in life. Sometimes for us, sometimes we lean differently depending on the person or the situation we are in, whether it's with our spouse or our kids or at work or at church. We can be a loving person over here, and all of a sudden here in this context, we are a truth person. So 
Love people tend to see truth people as too harsh, right? Too hard, self-righteous. Truth people tend to see love people as too soft, too weak, and compromising. But here in this description of love, the Apostle Paul, who taught that love is the greatest of all virtues, who taught that love is the one eternal virtue, who taught that love is the one measure of Christian maturity and the fulfillment of the whole law of God teaches us that love, true and genuine love, has a necessary and a constant companion, and that is truth. Love and truth are constant companions. So to be a Christian is to be a truth and love person. Now, I want to share some quotes. Those of you at home will see these flash on the screen. If you want to read along with these, they're at the very top of the digital bulletin. Each one of these authors, I feel like, gives us another important aspect of how these two things, love and truth, are constant companions. First, Lewis Smedes, who wrote a book on this chapter, he said, truth is love's favorite consort. Love is at its best with truth at its side. Love needs the truth, or it turns into fuzzy-headed pathos. Without a good grip on truth that is on reality, love floats around like a dreamy desire through a fog of maudlin wishes. Well said. Francis Schaeffer, who's taught me personally a lot about this, said in his book, The Mark of a Christian, the Christian has a double task, really. He has to practice both God's holiness and God's love. Not holiness without his love. That is only harshness. Not his love without his holiness. That is only compromise. And finally, Timothy Keller, who has also taught me a lot about this, said this in his book on marriage, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in a way that we cannot receive or really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. So there, truth and love, constant companions. When uh, you were in grade school and there was picking teams for whatever it was, maybe it was an academic exercise or maybe it was on the playground. Sometimes when you had a good buddy, a good friend, you would just get really close to that person and say, we're a package deal. And, you know, that's totally wrong. You can't, you shouldn't do that when you're on the playground. But we do it. We say, no, we always go together. And so you have to pick us together. That's what Paul says about love and truth here. Love doesn't ever avoid the truth or compromise the truth. Love rejoices in the truth and truth doesn't ever move forward in love, without love alongside it. It never acts or speaks for its own self-interest or benefit for itself, but out of a true concern for the well-being of the other person. So it always moves forward graciously, patiently, kindly, and gently. So it's not a balance, right? It's not 50% truth and 50% love. It's 100% truth and 100% love. This is so hard for us, isn't it? We ask questions like, am I condoning and enabling people to do something wrong when I don't speak up? I don't know what to do. 
But am I discouraging and hurting people when I confront something that I see in their life that I think needs to be pointed out? These are hard, hard situations. This one little verse, I think, helps us see. How, how is it that we can be 100% truth and 100% love people? So now let's look closely at part A and part B of this verse. Let's focus on the first half of verse 6. Okay, Paul says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. There are two parts to that. Love never finds, first, any joy in any wrongdoing, sin, or unrighteousness in another person. But love is never indifferent to wrong, sin, or unrighteousness in another person. I want to call this love's necessary grief. Let me explain. First, love never finds any joy in unrighteousness, sin, or wrong in another person. Okay? In failure, in wrong, in sin, in brokenness, in another person. And you say, why would anyone find joy in unrighteousness? Joy in somebody else's sin. That's kind of a sick, sick thing to do, right? <laughs> to find joy in evil and wrongdoing? Who would do that? But uh, I just have to say, oh boy, if we think about it, all of us do this at some level. There is a kind of joy, isn't there, we take in seeing and pointing out wrong in other people? Isn't there? If not, why do we do it so much? In the church community Paul wrote this for in Corinth, uh, as one scholar pointed out, there was this overly ready pleasure going on in this church in this church, a group of Christians, there was an eagerness to prophetically rebuke people or pronounce judgment on people to find failure and fault in others in the church. There was a joy in tracking down and pointing out what is wrong. Do we not see this in our culture? Do we not see this in our own hearts? Is there not an overly readiness that we have to see wrong, to point it out? Are we not swimming right now in a disease of over-eagerness in denouncing evil, pointing out evil, censoring what we see is wrong in other people? Paul says underneath this eagerness, I think he's asking us to see this. There's a joy in that, but it's not love's joy. It's the joy of superiority, right? It's when we say, if that person is so wrong, if I see sin and fault and unrighteousness in them, I can say, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> at least I would never do that. I'm not like them. They are the problem and not me. And there's kind of a joy that we get from that. Because if you are proved unrighteous, then I am proved to feel a little bit more righteous. And we find joy. Even when we feel like, I'm not one of those self-righteous people who always is finding fault in other people. And so we end up finding joy and not being self-righteous and pointing out self-righteousness in everyone. Here's the point. When Paul says, we have that kind of joy in our hearts. When we find we're so eager to point out fault and wrong. That is not the joy of love. Love's joy is in seeing people move closer to whom God has made them to be. 
So love finds no joy in unrighteousness in others, but there is another side to that. You say, well, what are we supposed to do? Just not care? Just step back and do nothing? No. Paul says love also is never indifferent to the wrong and the sin and the evil we see in others. Think about this. What's the opposite of not taking joy in the sin and wrong of other people? Is it to say and do nothing? To turn a blind eye? Is that love? Is love then just leaving people alone to do as they please as long as they don't bother me? Is love accepting, affirming, and supporting everything everyone else does? No, that's not here in the text. I think Paul means for us to consider here that the opposite of joy at unrighteousness is not apathy at unrighteousness. It is grief over unrighteousness. The opposite of joy, the flip side of 6a, this first, the first half of uh, this verse, is not apathy. The opposite of joy is grief and sorrow. Love of necessity grieves over unrighteousness in another person's life. It's been said before, you may have heard it, the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. I think it might be better to say love has two opposites. Hate is the sin of commission, commission against love, while indifference is the sin of omission against love. Both are the wrong way. Can you imagine um, this? I think this, this captures the picture. Two people are walking together. They're high up on a cliff, maybe one of our cliffs by the ocean, and they're looking at the ocean. It's a beautiful view, and they want to get as close as they can. And they're two good friends, and one they're just talking about their relationship. We love each other. Yeah, I love you. I love you, man. This is awesome. Look at the ocean. And they're walking closer and closer. And one of those friends gets dangerously close and is moving over the cliff and doesn't stop. And they proceed to fall over the cliff, and the other person says, I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> well, that's not love. The other friend should have said, before that friend reached the edge of the cliff, stop! There's a cliff there. You're in danger. You're heading down into your own destruction. Unrighteousness in the Bible is when we are out of right relationship with God, ourself, and other people. And according to the scriptures, when we are not right with God, uh, ourselves, and others, then we bring harm, destruction to ourselves and others. So to be indifferent to that is to be indifferent to the breaking down of communities, relationships, and people. So the opposite of rejoicing in wrong is grieving over wrong. Genuine love has a necessary grief. The very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 6, when God looks down at humanity and says, there's violence, there's injustice, this is not what I intended. In Genesis 6, it says, the Lord was grieved over that. And Jesus, after three years of ministry, when he's walking into the city of Jerusalem, knowing there that he will be rejected, what does he do? He pauses, he looks at the city, and in Luke 19, we read this this week in our CBR reading, he wept and grieved over the city. Love calls us to grieve. That is God's heart over anything that keeps the truth out of someone's life. All evil, injustice, lies, deceit, falsehood, hypocrisy, masks, pretending we're to grieve it all when we see it 
knowing that these, th- these same things are at work also in our own heart and life. So, if we have the joy of self-righteousness, or the joy maybe of indifference, of just saying, I'm going to just stay to myself, then our response to people's issues, whether it's joy in them, indifference to them, can only bring harm. Can only bring more harm to the wrong that's already being done. There's a second half to this verse. Love has a constant companion. Love has a necessary grief. But then Paul says love has a great joy. Love's greatest joy is what? Well, John the Apostle, who was called the Apostle of Love in his last epistle that he wrote, 3 John. So this is when he's older in life. He's an old guy. He can call everybody else children. He says this in verse 4. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. There's no greater joy, he says, than to see another person live fully into the truth of who God is, of who they are, and who God has made them and called them to be. The truth, what God said is good, is good and right, what he says is best for human flourishing, that is the truth. And love's greatest joy is to see somebody we care about walking further into that truth. Paul says, love rejoices at the truth. That's what the second half of this verse is saying. And Paul uses this great word. It's a party word, really. He uses two words. He puts them together, rejoice with, soon Cairo. And this is the same word that is used in Jesus's parables, the lost coin parable, the sheep parable. When the coin is found, when the sheep is returned, the owner says, rejoice with me, party, because what is lost is found. Same word here, truth and love. Paul's saying are always at each other's parties. They never party without each other. So what does this mean? Well, maybe you tend towards love without truth. You heard the first few messages of this series and you say, patience and kindness. Yes, that is what we need. That is more of what we need. That's my language. Well, consider this. A doctor who gets an x-ray back and sees something troubling and says, you know what? I don't want to cause my patient pain. Uh, I want them to be afraid here, so I'm not going to tell them. Or a lawyer who takes a case, knowing that there's no case, there, there's no chance of victory in this case, but he says, I don't, I don't want to break their heart. I don't, I don't know how to break it to them, so I'll just take it anyway. Or maybe there's a voice coach that somebody has, and they just can't bear it to tell their student they are completely tone deaf so they just keep going on with lessons so they don't crush their dream these are all the same as a friend who doesn't speak the truth to us the hard truth proverbs 27 5 and 6 say better is an open rebuke than hidden love faithful are the wounds of a friend saying to not speak truth is to hide love. So if we tend towards love, we need to be challenged to love by speaking the truth in love. But maybe we tend towards truth without love. And maybe you heard the first few messages of this series and you're like, when are we going to get 
to how we confront people, <laughs> how we challenge people. There's so much wrong out there, I see. Consider this, that love does not rejoice for truth's sake. This is very important. But for the sake of the other person's well-being and flourishing in the truth, there's a huge difference. Sometimes we take up a cause, a good and righteous cause, just name the cause, and there's many good ones out there, or maybe we have a concern about someone, their choices and behavior. We need to ask, am I doing it for the cause? Am I doing it for the principle of the matter, or am I doing it for the persons? Is it the joy that's driving me? The joy of, I want to be proved right here. I want to be shown that I'm in the right of saying I told you so, of being on the side of the truth? Or is our joy found in being on the side of the other person and what is best for them? If the people affected by the evil and the wrong, if the person who is doing wrong and unrighteousness and that thing just kind of fades away and we're like, I'm just focused on this issue. It's about the principle of the matter. It's about the truth. Then Paul says, we will do more harm than good. As we read earlier in our service, Romans 12, 9, Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. Detest what is evil, but always cling to what is good. Do not overcome evil with evil, but conquer evil with good. And the truth is, on this point, I think it's important to say that this this is how Christians are perceived by many, um, whether it's fair or not. I think there is a lot of truth that we need to hear here as the Christian community, that we are truth without love people. But what are we left with if we don't agree, if somebody doesn't agree with the truth, if there is just a continued argument and power struggle over it? We have to ask ourselves, do we love truth for people's sake or do we love truth for truth's sake? As Paul says here, love's greatest joy is not to be right, not to win, not to gain power, not to have people do it our way or for us. Love's greatest joy is to see another person live fully in the truth of who God is, who they are, who God has made and called them to be. So, Love's necessary companion, love's necessary grief, love's greatest joy. How do we get this? How do we grow in this kind of love? And the answer is from remembering that 1 Corinthians 13 is a depiction of the love we are called to give. But it is also a picture for us of the love that we first need to receive. Love personified in the person of Jesus for us. To get and grow in this kind of love, we need to first experience the joy of receiving this kind of love from God. If we don't have the joy of being loved by God, we will either have the truth dial turned way too high at the expense of the love dial, or we have the love dial turned way down, and we have the truth dial turned way up. Here is the reality of the gospel, the hard truth, but the wonderful truth. The gospel does have the hardest truth of any belief system. It has the hardest truth for us to accept that we are unable to save ourselves. 
that we are so infected with unrighteousness and sin in every part of us, that we are so needy, that we deserve judgment curse because we are sinners before a holy God. And if we don't repent and turn from that, there's no hope. That is the hardest truth that we could hear. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But the gospel also has, at the same time, the greatest love of any belief system that says we are not loved because of what we do. We cannot earn it or deserve it. We are 100% loved without condition. We are loved with an everlasting love. We are loved with a love that knows us fully, that knows the full truth about us, but loves us completely. This love has taken on our unrighteousness to make us righteous. So there is that 100% truth dial turned all the way up. The cross says, this is what our sins deserve. This is our unrighteousness. This is where it leads. And yet at the same time, the cross says, 100% love turned all the way up. This is the love I don't deserve, but that I have in Christ. When we turn the truth down, love is pretty much kind of like ho-hum. I deserve this love anyway. I'm pretty lovable. At least I'm not as bad as these people. But when God's love is turned down, his truth is crushing, and we hide from it. We try to lower the bar and change it or ignore it. Friends, the joy of God is this that we might live fully in the truth of who he is, who we are, and who he has made and called us to be. He doesn't take joy in our unrighteousness. How could he? He is a holy God. But our unrighteousness does not stop him from loving us. It doesn't change his love for us. His joy is to set us free more and more from it. So let me just close with a few final applications of how this is lived out in our lives. And if you are wondering, do I have any street signs for today? I've had a street sign for every single one of these messages. I have two. And here they are. First, the stop sign. This passage, it gives us a clear stop sign in certain situations when we look into our own hearts in these kinds of situations. Friends, if we love the issue and the cause at hand, more than the actual real people who are affected by whatever a cause or issue it is. It's not love, and we'll do more harm than good. We have to stop. If we enjoy pointing out wrong, if we are eager and quick to do so, stop. It's not love. It will do more harm than good. If we rarely rejoice in the good in other people, in truth, even when we see it in our opponent, in the person we tend to be most eager to point out wrong in, in our lives, then it's not love. Stop. You will do more harm than good. If we're not able to see the truth about a person's wrong actions and sin and unrighteousness, in light of the whole truth about that person, their story, their situation, and their struggles, it's not love. Stop. You will do more harm than good. And if we are not able to find joy in repentance when the truth hits us, when it reveals and shows us our own shortcomings, failures, and humbles us. Even when it doesn't advantage us or advantage our group, when it does not serve our interests or advance our cause or preferences, then stop. We need to camp out at 1 Corinthians 
will do more harm than good. Those are the stop signs, but there is another sign, and that is the proceed with caution sign. Because love is not indifferent when it sees a person who is living in unrighteousness, but instead speaks the truth in love. James 5 says, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And Galatians 6 says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, but in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bearing one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. So if you're like me, there are places in your heart where you need to stop and sit in the truth and love of God, turn up the dials 100%, and stop with that. And there are also people and situations in your life where you need to just slow down, you need to move in, and by God's grace, speak the truth in love, knowing that as much as they need it, we need it too. May God give us grace to do this, to find joy in that kind of truth. Let me pray for us. God, this is so hard. You are love, and you alone know the truth. And we don't. We are, we are often so unloving, so hard for us to love, and it's a, we don't even know the full truth about ourselves or about other people. So we know this is hard business, but we know this is the business of love that we are called to. So help us to be the people in our home, the things we care deeply about, the people we come across to be truth and love people that are grounded in the joy of knowing that you know the truth about us and you love us 100% fully. Sink it deep into our hearts, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.